0: Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Three, two, one.
2: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me, Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kirk Herbstreit yes, is on the Their phone. It yeah. is Friday, September 29th, 2023, oh, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for what should be another fun Friday edition of the Aaron Torres Pod and another Loaded College Football Saturday. Here's what you need to know about today's show. We are going to open with all the big games in college football. Hit on most of them anyway. We'll talk A&M, Arkansas, Kentucky, Florida, Michigan, Nebraska, LSU, Ole Miss, and of course, Colorado, USC. From there, we'll take a quick break. There was, listen, I don't plan on always talking Coach Prime but he was back in the news. He was critical of a five-star freshman named Cormani McLean. I am here to tell you there's nothing wrong with what he said, even as the internet is completely overreacting. And then finally, we will wrap with America's Favorite Podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We will hit on my best and worst takes of the week. And I'm here to tell you, I had some really, 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 really bad takes this week. Cannot wait for you to hear them all. Before we get started, Do have one very important announcement, and that is what I told you on Wednesday's show. For the state of Kentucky, congratulations. Legal sports betting has come to your state. And to celebrate, the Aaron Torres Pod has partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and DraftKings has a special offer just for listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod. For listeners of this show, this is what I need you to do. And Kentucky, remember, I've had your back through the thick and thin When they want to fire Coach Cal, I said, no, everybody pump the brakes. We love Coach Cal. He's going to figure it out. He's got another top 10 team coming into this year. So remember when Torres had your back. Now, make sure you have Torres' back, and here's what you need to know, and here's how you can take advantage of the offer exclusive to DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Go to DraftKings.com. When you make your first bet, they're going to ask you for a promo code. Use promo code Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. And when you do, you will get $200 in bonus bets for any $5 bet. So you bet on any pro football game this weekend, college football game this weekend, whatever you bet on. First bet for first-time users. Bet $5 on anything. Get $200 in bonus bets, courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. They are our partners as Kentucky launches legal sports betting. I'm tripping over my own words here. I'm so excited Excited to work with our partners, DraftKings. Again, make sure to download the app. Bet $5 on any game. Get 200 in bonus bets, courtesy of DraftKings. When you use the code Torres, tell them Torres sent you. Thank you again to our partners at DraftKings. On the week five slate. And I'll tell you what. Let's start, speaking of which, with the beautiful state of Kentucky. Kentucky hosting Florida. Kentucky open as a two and a half point favorite. It's down to about a point now over under set at 44, but it is wild how quickly this rivalry has turned in the wildcats favor. The fact that they are favored after years and years and years of misery. What was it about 30 years that Kentucky went without winning? Then they went in the swamp. I believe it was 20. What was it? 2018. I believe of course, three seasons ago, they win in Lexington last year. They went in the swamp. Now, they are going for a three-game winning streak on Saturday at home. When I look at this game, I think a couple things stand out. First of all, for those of you who haven't watched Kentucky much this year, these ain't your grandpa's Kentucky Wildcats, okay? This is a team that while they still play very good defense, they are a much more explosive offense. This is a team that is averaging 38 points per game through four games, took care of business in the out-of-conference 3-0, and and then put up 45 at Vanderbilt last week, second 40-point performance of the year. Devin Leary is in at quarterback. Ray Davis, a former Vanderbilt running back, it has transferred in as well. And Kentucky, believe it or not, has one of the better wide receiver cores with uh, Barry and Brown, Dane Key, and others. Florida, on the other hand, and this is the interesting part, Florida, they kind of play more like Kentucky then Kentucky does, right? For for years with this Kentucky Wildcats team, Mark Stoops, it was ground and pound, control the clock, run the football. Now it's kind of Florida who does that as well. Kentucky's the one airing it out. Florida's the one, if you watch that Tennessee game a few weeks ago, this is a team that that wants to control the clock, wants to be in control. Again, that Tennessee game, they fall down 7 nothing, but they build back. They have a 20, what was it, 26-7 to lead at halftime, if I remember correctly. And then the second half, they just basically sat on the ball, chewed up the clock, kept that Tennessee offense off the field. They only had to score three points, and they ended up still beating Tennessee 29-10, to or 29-16, I think was the final score. Regardless, two completely different teams, different than you expect. Kentucky's the high-powered offense. Florida's the ground and pound. So the question now becomes, can Florida improve to 2-0 in the SEC, or will it be Kentucky? Again, all the money appears to be coming in on Florida. Florida was a two and a half point favorite. Now they're down to one. I'll be blunt. In this game, I actually like the Kentucky Wildcats. And let me explain why. There's really three reasons why. One, first of all, I, I think there's a little bit too much like pro Florida buzz right now. right? College football is the craziest sport because we know the narrative on Florida. They lose at Utah, a good team that is now 4-0 and as we speak. And it is Sunbelt Billy, Broke Down Billy. Billy Napier's the worst thing that ever happened. It's never going to work. Then they have a a quiet game against McNeese State. Then they beat Tennessee in a game that, you know, they they just kind of, like I said, sat on the ball, chewed up the clock, and found a way to win. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, Florida, they're really dangerous. They're on the way up. The recruiting's good. Give Billy Napier time. It's like, we went from A to Z very quickly with Florida. And I think they're good. But listen, this is a developing program, and it's a program that very much still has a lot of work to do. I don't think this is the way Billy Napier wants to play, but because of the pieces left by Dan Mullen, because of the fact that that rec- these recruiting classes are slowly starting to trickle in, Florida currently has the number 3 class in 2024, This is a process, and this is not a very talented Florida team, and I think everybody's overhyping them based on one win over Tennessee. Remember, they have not lost to Tennessee since 2003. So it just feels weird how much buzz is coming in on Florida. Conversely, I know that Kentucky, they haven't been perfect early on. Devin Leary's not completing a high enough completion percentage. But what really stands out to me, as I said a minute ago, Florida plays more like Kentucky than they play like Kentucky did six, seven years ago. What's wild to me, I think for the first time that I can ever remember in this series, Kentucky's just got better dudes across the board. And I know that some Kentucky fans would say, well, what about last year? Florida stunk last year, six and seven. We didn't have a great year, but we were better than them. What I would say is Anthony Richardson in week two last year at least felt like an equalizer coming in. He was coming off that big Utah game. We didn't know at the time how much he was going to struggle passing. But I only bring it up because this year, just think about it. Which quarterback would you rather have? Graham Mertz on the road or Devin Leary at home? I'd rather have Devin Leary. But then you look at the skill position, guys. Ray Davis, as I said, a thousand-yard rusher a year ago at Vanderbilt. But Barry and Brown was a top 100 prospect out of Nashville. Dane Key, uh, a really good four-star wide receiver out of Kentucky. And those are the kinds of guys. Like, those are two NFL wide receivers. And if you remember, we talked about this in the offseason. In the NFL draft last year, oh, Will Levis didn't have any NFL wide receivers. Uh, Yeah, he did. They were just really young. And that's what stands out to me. These guys look like the dudes that Florida used to have, only now they're playing at Kentucky. Those two wide receivers I mentioned, they combined for eight catches, 150 yards. We saw the little head pat from Dane Key after a touchdown catch. So I just bring it up because I think Kentucky just has the better players. And this is what happens, by the way, when you have stability when you have a program with a coach with a plan, when you have seven, eight, nine years of the same voice, as opposed to Florida, which has been through, what, four coaches in the last eight, nine years, whatever it's been, you know, Muschamp to to McElwain to Mullen to, to, to Napier, like, this is what happens. I think Kentucky has better players. And finally, you don't need to worry about that home field advantage. Did you see what Mark Stoops said prior to this game? He was asked about the crowd noise for a noon Eastern kickoff at Kentucky. He said, I have faith in my fan base that they will drink lots of beers and be very loud. I think he didn't say the loud part, but I think the insinuation was if they drink enough beer, they're going to be plenty loud when they come to the game. And so I look at this game and I'll be blunt. I do like Kentucky to win at home. I'll say a final score like what? 20, 30. we'll say 31 to 20. I, you know, I, I could see it being a little bit lower scoring, a little bit higher scoring. I'm going to stay away from the over under 44. But I do like Kentucky to win outright. I do like them to cover the one point. Take Kentucky for a third straight win in this series. Let's switch gears to just another bananas rivalry in the SEC. Dates back many, many, many years to the Southwest Conference. I'm, of course, talking about the Southwest Classic between Texas A&M and Arkansas. Texas A&M enters this one as a six and a half point favorite. The over-under set at 53 and a half. And let me tell you this couple things stand out, Uh, you know, before I get into all the craziness, it is worth noting. We did get an update on Texas A&M starter Connor Wigman on Wednesday morning. It was not good. He hurt his foot and he is going to be out for the year. Just a bummer. Former five star. You never root against anybody with injuries. But the good news is Connor Wigman went out at halftime last week against uh, Auburn. And Max Johnson is a more than capable replacement. Remember, this was a guy that transferred to Texas A&M from LSU. Was the starter at LSU in Coach O's final year there? So this is a guy with big game experience, and he looked really, really, really good uh, for A&M when he was forced in as a backup a week ago. Still, though, what I need to discuss is this: this series. I think it is amongst, if not if it's not the craziest rivalry that most college football fans don't realize, is bananas. It is in the very short conversation, okay? So I looked it up because I was like, in my head, I'm like, every year this this game seems to be crazy and down to the wire. Is that actually true? Well, I looked it up and the answer is absolutely yes, okay? So I looked it up and I know, I said looked it up 37 times, forgive me, but (laughs) went back and checked, okay? And of the last 10 times that these two teams have played, the last 10 times, six of them have been decided by a touchdown or less, three have gone to overtime. Somebody tweeted at me a stat. I don't even know if it's true, but it sounds true that since AM got to the SEC 11 years ago, there have been five times where they entered the fourth quarter trailing by a touchdown or more. And four out of five times they ended up winning the game outright. So it talks to how crazy this rivalry is. But then on the field, I will be absolutely fascinated, right? Because you have an AM team. That is coming off an SEC opening win over Auburn. And I'll tell you, if they win this game, they really have some momentum going into next week against Alabama. If they lose, it's devastating. And then Arkansas, they're two and two. I don't think they're quite as bad as people think. And so when I look at this game, a couple things stand out. The first with AM, I just talked about it with Florida and Kentucky. I kind of feel like are we not giving like, like AM? I feel like the hype is like a little too much coming out of the Auburn game. Okay. I don't think it's like hype like, oh, it's Texas hype or USC hype or Colorado hype or whatever. But AM was up six to three at the half against Auburn. Peyton Thorne missed three, four, five wide open wide receivers. And so I bring it up because they were only up six to three. They easily could have trailed. And then Max Johnson comes in and he's pretty good. They build a lead and they run away with the game. But I just sit there and say, are they as good? as everybody like thinks they are because it felt like, you know, AM we've just criticized, 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 criticized for multiple weeks at a time here, multiple years at a time. And all of a sudden they take care of an Auburn team that doesn't have a starting quarterback. That is very, not, let's be blunt, not very talented. I don't blame Hugh freeze for that, but Brian Harson basically stopped recruiting for two years. They didn't have a quarterback. And Oh, by the way, it was like 120 degrees on the field in college station last week. So AM ran away with that game. That's what you're supposed to do in year six under Jimbo Fisher, run away with that game, get that victory dominate and get ready for this game. So is AM as good as everybody thinks? I don't know. And then with Arkansas, I keep going back to the same thing with Arkansas. If you listen to last week's show and I did a standalone segment on YouTube, I don't think Arkansas is as bad as the two and two record would indicate. What I do think is they're ranked 126 nationally in penalties and they need to clean it up. Remember, Two weeks ago, we talked about this. Against BYU, they outgained BYU by over 100 yards. But it was 14 penalties at home that killed them and why they lost the game. Now, last week, they went up against a legitimately awesome LSU offense on the road. And they basically went play for play with them the entire game. Arkansas had the lead at the half. They were in control for large stretches. They did have a... but, But what happened? They had 11 penalties and ended up losing that game in the final minute. K.J. Jefferson, by the way, nobody, for whatever reason, nobody talks about this kid. This kid's been awesome for like four straight years. 71% completion percentage. The run game right now is not what you would expect from a Sam Pittman coach team, in large part because of the fact that obviously Rocket Sanders is hurt, the O-line's not playing well. But what what, what, uh, K.J. Jefferson is doing this season is, again, very impressive. And he just doesn't seem to get enough credit for it. But on the year, he's completing 71% of his passes, nine touchdowns, 918 yards, and was phenomenal against LSU. 21 of 31, just under three uh, uh, 300 yards. Obviously, he did have two interceptions, but I just bring it up because he's playing good football. Arkansas is not that far away. And so when I see this spread as six and a half, I sit there and say, this feels like another Southwest classic down to the wire nail biter. I think Arkansas is the better quarterback, respectful to Max Johnson. But listen, Max Johnson was good early, but again, he was going up against a weak Auburn defense at home. They wore down in the second half because they just don't have enough bodies. And I'm just not sold like that. He is the guy that everybody is trying to make him out to be. Arkansas is the better quarterback. Arkansas has been moving the ball on everybody. And all they got to do is clean up the penalties a little bit. Now, can I pick Arkansas to win this game outright? I'm sorry, Fogs fans. I don't know that I can. The truth is, this is just a game that is always tight, always contentious. Unfortunately, it always seems to break the wrong way for Arkansas. So give me a close game. I'll say 31-30 A&M wins. But I do think Arkansas covering is the right side on this bet. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at some of the other games. In the SEC LSU Ole Miss. And then, of course, we will hit on some of the other marquee games across the rest of college football. A lot more show left. We'll take a quick break and be right back.
1: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
3: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, let's keep it going with the week five preview. And it's interesting because I just previewed two big SEC games this weekend. Florida, Kentucky, Arkansas, A&M at Cherry World. I didn't even get to the big Top 25 matchup in the SEC West as the LSU Tigers travel to Ole Miss to take on Lane Kiffin and the Rebels. LSU was a two-point favorite to open. It is now up to two and a half. And how about this? The over-under jumping from 63 and a half all the way up to 67 and a half as, we, uh, as the week goes on. So let's get into it. And to me, this, this might be the most interesting game on the slate. Because I don't really know what to make of both of these teams. And bluntly, I actually think that both of them in, in their own way are a little bit overvalued. Now, from the LSU perspective, we just talked about it because they played Arkansas last week. We did our Arkansas AM and preview. But look, I think LSU is a good team. But what strikes me when I watch them, LSU at its absolute best in their national championship years and the best teams that they've had. They're special across the board, special on offense, special on defense, special at the wide receiver, secondary, defensive line, linebacker, whatever. And I get this isn't Brian Kelly's fault. I get that he inherited a roster with 39 scholarship players two years ago. And so to be clear, if you're an LSU fan, I am not blaming Brian Kelly in any way, shape or form. I don't see special across the board with LSU. Now on offense, I think they're really good. Jaden Daniels is phenomenal. This offense is rolling. This is the number one offense actually in the SEC right now, averaging over 500 yards per game on offense. Jaden Daniels, as I said, phenomenal. Over 1,000 yards passing, 12 touchdowns, two interceptions. He's been great. And the one place that I do see special, the one place that the previous coaching staff hit on, that wide receiver room is special. Malik Neighbors, 239 yards two weeks ago against Mississippi State. But then on the flip side, Brian Thomas, you know, Arkansas last week tries to take away Malik neighbors. Brian Thomas has 133 yards receiving and two touchdowns. So I love what LSU is offensively. I still think defensively, though, they're a work in progress. And I think that's where you start to see the lack of bodies that were left over when Brian Kelly took over. I think that's where you're starting to see the effects, right? A few weeks ago, Florida State, listen, I'm not going to hold too much against that Florida State game. It was week one whatever. I also think Florida state at full strength. And I don't think Jordan Travis was hundred percent in that Clemson game. I think Florida state at full strength is the best team in college football. They're the best team that I have seen all phases of the game, offense, defense, special team size, speed. But then again, last week, 31 points allowed to the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas is good. Arkansas has got good quarterback play. But if you are an sec West contender, if you are an sec contender, if you are a team that wants to win out and make the playoff, you got to be better on defense. And that's why this game is interesting because one, LSU is flawed, two, Ole Miss is flawed, but I didn't even mention this. There's so much at stake for both these teams, right? If LSU loses this game, second loss before September, this was a team that some picked to make the college football playoff. Ole Miss, meanwhile, lost at Alabama last week, so this would be their second SEC loss. At least if LSU lost this game, they'd still be in the West picture. Ole Miss would be completely out of it. And so let's get to Ole Miss because, like I said with LSU, I think everybody liked LSU, but now you're starting to see flaws. It's the same with Ole Miss. And listen, I get a lot of stuff wrong, and maybe I'll be wrong come Monday on this game. I'm underwhelmed by this offense. And that sounds crazy. It doesn't sound as crazy as last week, but I told you last week. That Ole Miss Alabama game, I said, take the under in that game. I don't trust this offense because you see the cross the board, cross the season stats and coming into last week, Ole Miss was number four in the country in scoring number 11 in total offense. But I said, look at how these games are playing out. When they played at Tulane, it was 17, 17 going into the fourth quarter and they put up a bunch of points and it got out of hand. And when they played Georgia Tech at home the week before Alabama, that was a game that was 17 to three. And they scored a bunch of points late, ended up with 48 total. And so the numbers were skewed. And so what we saw at Alabama was when they go up against elite defensive personnel. And I do think Alabama is probably the best defense in the SEC. I mean, maybe Georgia's a little bit better. Um, Alabama's elite, though. But look at what Ole Miss did last week. Ten total points. They scored a touchdown on their first possession, and they did not find the end zone. And so when I look at this Ole Miss team, I've never trusted them, even going back to the offseason. I remember talking about this in the preseason. I said, if Lane Kiffin trusted Jackson Dart, why did he go get not one but two transfer quarterbacks out of the portal? Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State and, of course, Walker Howard from LSU, ironically enough. And so when I look at this Ole Miss team, I'm not convinced, and it's been interesting this week because I think there's been some narratives that have come out about Ole Miss against nine-win teams and just out of curiosity, even before I saw that stat, I went and looked it up. Ole Miss last year went eight and five. They're three and one this year. But if you look at who they've beaten, it's kind of a who's who of eh. who's who of. Eh. What am I talking about? Here's who they beat last year. They beat Central Arkansas, Troy, Tulsa. They beat Kentucky. They beat A and M. They beat Auburn. And they beat Vanderbilt last year. Am I missing one team? I might be missing one team. Let me see if I'm missing one on Ole Miss. Let me double-check on that last year. Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa. So four out of conference. And then in conference, Kentucky, Vandy, Auburn, a and So to be clear, last year, there are eight wins. Three came against schools that ultimately fired their coaches. Tulsa, Georgia Tech, and Auburn. The worst AM and team pretty much of this century. And also a Kentucky team that largely disappointed. This year, their three wins were against Tulane with a backup quarterback, Mercer and Georgia Tech. And so I'm just not sold on Ole Miss. I don't believe in them. And I think this is a game that they probably lose. Now, I don't love taking road underdogs. And I don't totally trust LSU. Or I don't love taking road favorites. And I don't totally trust LSU. So what I'm going to do here is a little bit different. I'm actually going to take the under in this game. I just think everybody is totally overvaluing this LA, this old Miss offense. And I, I think the defense isn't as bad as people think, but I don't think they're just going to march up and down the field even against an LSU defense that I have questions about. So give me a 31-24 to 24 LSU win, but I think the smart play here is the under. I think it goes way under. I think LSU wins, but rather than taking LSU as the road favorite, I'll go ahead and just take the under. Let's get out of SEC country. Enough SEC talk. Let's go all the way out west. Yes, I am going to talk about the game that America, you know, you either love them or you hate them. I'm of course talking about the Colorado Buffaloes. They are hosting the USC Trojans. Colorado, of course, is a 21 and a half point underdog. USC, a 21 and a half point favorite. The over/under at 73 and a half. And what's interesting about this game? First of all, we'll talk about Colorado's last week in a minute. But one, this actually opened as around a four touchdown USC as a favorite. So it's actually been bet down significantly. But when it opened, it was off of what happened last week. And everybody watched the game. You don't need me to tell you Colorado got curb stomped in Eugene, right? 42 to six was the final score, 35 to nothing at halftime. Oh, by the way, uh, I, the stat I keep throwing out. Oregon had more touchdowns in the first half five than than Colorado had first downs four, So I bring it up because it was ugly for Colorado, What I don't think enough people paid attention to, although the narrative is starting to get out this week. USC does not look good. USC does not look, well, I take that back. USC's offense is awesome because they got a guy named Caleb Williams, who is just so, so, so special. And it's like, you know, I will say this, like sometimes in life, Sometimes in life, like there's narratives that get a little bit overblown. And like, sometimes you you watch a player, like, is he really as good as everybody thinks? Oh yeah. Caleb Williams is as good as everybody thinks. Last week against Arizona state, he was unbelievable. 21. What were they? What was he? 20. I'm trying to find the stats here. 322 yards passing three touchdowns. And on the season, how about this? These are incredible stats. 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns, zero interceptions. So he's averaging 300 yards three and a half touchdowns, zero interceptions per game. That's not bad. What is bad, though? That USC defense. Yeah, you knew I was going to go there, but I have to go there because it is just abysmal. That USC defense was bad on Saturday against a bad Arizona State team. Remember, Arizona State got shut out by Fresno State at home two weeks before, and now they play USC. USC gives up over 300 yards of total offense. Drew Pine has over 200 yards passing, and the starting starting running back – had over a hundred yards rushing. And so when I watched USC on Saturday, you know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of last year when Caleb Williams had to bail out USC and USC's defense time and time and time again, that is why he won the Heisman trophy. It was not only because he was phenomenal. It was not only because the stats were great. It was because they needed him to be great every week. And some thought USC was past that. Now I said all offseason, I said, I get that they signed, They got two uh, 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 SEC defensive linemen on the transfer portal. Bear Alexander from Georgia, Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M. I said the great teams have seven, eight, nine of those guys. USC has two. And I, was, I never understood why everybody was so quick to assume that USC had figured out the defensive side of the ball based on their early season competition. Nevada, who they beat in week one by technicality, they played San Jose State in week zero. Nevada, who they beat in week one. Might be the worst team in, in uh uh FBS football. 0-4 got stomped by an FCS team. And then uh USC also beat Stanford, which might be the best po- the worst power five team in college football. They lost a million transfers after David Shaw retired. Wink wink, if you know what I mean, last year. So I was never sold on USC. And I'll say this about this game. I don't know if Colorado can win. But I think they can keep it competitive. A few things stand out here. One, as bad as it looked for Colorado last week, let's keep in mind a few things. It was really bad. I'm not going to say it wasn't. The offensive line is a mess. But remember, it was 13-0, and they got a stop. And that was when Oregon ran the fake punt with inside their, within their 20, excuse me, for the first down. They don't run that fake punt. Colorado gets the ball back late in the first quarter, down 13-0 with a chance to cut into that lead. Let's also remember, After half, the score was 7-6. to Now, you could say that Oregon took its foot off the gas, but I thought Colorado got used to the size and the speed of the game, even if they were clearly outmatched. Not to discredit Oregon. They're awesome. That's just my personal opinion. Two, the circumstances in this game are much more in Colorado's favor. They're at home. We've seen how those crowds get for, for home games in Boulder. We saw it with Nebraska a few weeks ago. We saw it with Colorado State a few weeks ago. That place is going to be electric. And then from the USC perspective, remember as well, they played a 10.30 Eastern time kickoff last Saturday, 7.30 Pacific. It ended after 11 Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. I know that because I host Fox Sports Radio until 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 Pacific. I got off air. The game was still going on. So let's do some mental math here. That game ends probably about 11.15, 11.20 local time. Another hour to shower do media. Another half hour to the airport. They're probably not getting to the airport till 1 a.m. They're probably not landing till 2.15, 2.20, 2.30. They're probably not getting back to their dorms till about 4 o'clock in the morning. Now they gotta turn around and play a 10 a.m. local time game in Boulder? No thank you. Finally, I'll say this. It is about the defense. And the thing about USC, it's not good, but the other thing is this. Colorado has quietly played some really good defenses. We're about to talk about Nebraska. Nebraska's Defense is really good. Colorado moved the ball on them. Um, Colorado State. I know we make fun of Jay Norvell because of some of the dumb stuff he said. Their defense is legit. And then finally, uh, even TCU has played pretty good defense outside of that Colorado game. USC is the 77th ranked run defense. Every single team that Colorado has played is in the top 35 in run defense. So I think they're able to move the ball a little bit on the ground. But I bring it up because I think Colorado can do enough to keep it close. I would not bet the money line. But if you're asking me, can they cover three touchdowns and change? I think they can cover three touchdowns in the hook. Give me Colorado to cover USC to win outright. I think this one's close. I think this one's competitive. And I think Lincoln Riley gets his pants pulled down a little bit, which sounds weirdly and wildly inappropriate. But I think there's a chance that it's close and competitive into the fourth quarter. Really quickly, let's do one more game. We'll take a quick break, and we'll wrap on some of the other ones. Um, Let's go out to the heartland, Big Ten country. And by the way, you you, want to know how big this Colorado thing has gotten? The fact that Nebraska-Michigan, two big-time brands in college football, get bumped to the 3.30 Eastern time slot on Fox, it shows you how big this Colorado thing has gotten, that they chose Colorado-USC. Now, admittedly, Caleb Williams is in that game over Michigan, Nebraska. Anyway, enough about that. Michigan, a 17-point favorite in this game. How about this? How about this? The over-under set at 39 points. Insanity. Insanity, I tell you, people. Insanity. Okay, so let's get into the preview. And let me say this. 39 points is the over-under. It's going to be low scoring. I agree with Vegas 1,000% on this. Um, Michigan, listen, Michigan, we can criticize the early season schedule defensively they have been every bit as good as advertised now look i understand the schedule east carolina unlv bowling green rutgers not exactly uh you know what what even colorado has had to deal with early in the season but at the same time when you win those four games 30 to 3 35 to 7 31 to 6 31 to 7 without breaking a sweat that's still very 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 impressive from the michigan perspective defense is as good as advertised What's interesting is the offense has been okay. I wouldn't call it great, though. I wouldn't call it great. J.J. McCarthy, obviously, a few weeks ago had that three-touchdown game. Overall, they're moving the ball, but not at the level that they have in the past. 405 yards per game, 61st nationally. That's not very good when you think about the competition. And I do think McCarthy's been a little bit loose with the ball. Not just the three interceptions, but there were two or three throws against Rutgers last week that easily could have picked off that weren't. And I still think what J.J. McCarthy goes back to last year's college football playoff against TCU. Feels like sometimes he gets too cute, too fun, too this, too that. And I'm just like, I don't know if I like how he operates sometimes. So I'm not sold on J.J. McCarthy. The other thing that's interesting about the Michigan offense, anyone besides me see Jim Harbaugh's comments about the running back room this week? He was basically asked about the running back room. And what he said was, You know, he kind of sees himself as a father figure, and he doesn't want to overuse his running backs. He point blank said, Blake Corum, I told him he should go to the NFL. He decided to come back. Donovan Edwards, who was a 1,000-yard rusher last year, really hasn't gotten going. And so I bring it up because they're going up against a Nebraska defense, which is really good. And I know, the last time we saw Nebraska, Jeff Sims was fumbling the ball all over the field, and we didn't know what was going on, and what, what the heck is up with that team? But at the same time, this Nebraska defense has been really good all season long. Take out the Colorado game where they kept giving the ball back to Colorado. These are the point totals that they've given up. Let me make sure I have this correct. Colorado has given up, or Nebraska has given up 10 points, 11 points, and 14 points in their three games this season. I actually need to double check that. It's not 10. It is, let me correct that there. It is 13, 11, and 14, okay? So take out the Colorado game. They've given up 13, 11, and 14. And do you know that Nebraska right now has the number two rush defense in all of college football? And that was what stood out to me watching that Colorado game a few weeks ago. They are so much more fundamentally sound on defense than they've been. Offensively, don't tell anybody. Be quiet. Little whisper there. You understand, with with Nebraska, I keep calling them Colorado. They're Nebraska, the Cornhuskers. They made, I don't know if they made a, a quarterback change. Jeff Sims has been banged up, but they've gone with Heinrich Harburg uh, over the last two games. He has been exactly what Matt rule needs from that quarterback position. He's averaged about 125 yards rushing in the two games, 98 yards, two weeks ago, over hundred yards, about 150 yards, to be honest, last week. And you add him in with Anthony Grant. That's a really good one 2 punch by the way, Anthony Grant, the Nebraska running back, not the former Alabama basketball coach. So when I look at this game, Nebraska's run game or run defense is phenomenal. Jim Harbaugh always plays it close to the vest on the road. And I think Nebraska can score enough to keep this competitive. Now, am I picking Nebraska to win outright? I can't do it. But if you told me this game was 13-10 going into the fourth quarter, I'd absolutely believe it. To me, that under is a little bit too low. But the 17 points I get with Nebraska, that is a bet that I like. That's one of my best bets of the week. Take Nebraska plus 17. That's what we're going to do. Take a quick break, come back, and we're just going to rip through the rest of the games. Duke, Notre Dame, Texas, Kansas, Tennessee, South Carolina. There's a couple other big ones. Quick break. Be right back.
1: Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
3: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.
1: purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: All right, everybody. I'm back. Going to be back. Going to be back. I do want to switch gears. And I do want to talk about an interesting little topic that has popped up here over the last couple days. Yes, it involves Colorado, Deion Sanders, the man they call Coach Prime. And so it's interesting, right? Because on Wednesday's Aaron Torres pod, we kind of talked about this exact same thing. I said, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, there's the people that love coach prime. We know, you know, the millions of people that he brings to a TV set every single weekend. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that claim that they don't like Deion Sanders, coach prime, the head coach, of the Colorado Buffaloes. And what I said was, I don't believe that there are people out there that do not like him. I believe that a lot of people are tired of the media coverage and over coverage. And what I said was this is unfortunately for the people that are frustrated by the media coverage this is simply what you have to deal with with Coach Prime. The good of he brings millions and millions and millions of people to this sport that wouldn't otherwise be interested but the bad of it is is that everything he says is going to be analyzed and overanalyzed same with all the coaches that he coaches against the players that he coaches against this is part of part this is part of having Coach Prime in college football. My buddy Josh Pate from CBS Sports calls it the Dion tax, right? You get the good, but you got to deal with the bad. And this is exactly what we talked about on Wednesday's show. Well, I bring it up because we have not seen a better example of this yet than what happened earlier this week when it came to Kormani McLean, the five-star cornerback that frankly has not seen very much playing time at Colorado. And I think most people kind of remember the backstory, but obviously Coach Prime got to Colorado in December, Um, brought a bunch of players with him, including Travis Hunter, the number one cornerback in the high school class of 2022. And then coach prime gets to Colorado. And within the first few months signs the number one cornerback in the class of 2023 in Cormani McLean, Travis Hunter had a great freshman year dealt with some injuries, but was excellent at Jackson state. And I think everybody assumed it'd be very much the same for Cormani McLean. He'd come to Colorado. He'd play immediately. He'd be awesome. And you would have one of the most lethal, if not the most lethal cornerback combos in all of college football, Colorado. Well, unfortunately it hasn't happened that way. Um, Travis Hunter has been great when he's been on the field, he's hurt right now. And so earlier this week, coach prime was kind of asked, Hey, you know, with Travis's injury, does this create more of an opportunity for Cormani McClain? And Deion Sanders basically said, no, not really. And he was asked why, why Cormani wasn't playing and essentially what he needed to do to get on the field. Well, Coach Prime shared his thoughts and was not afraid to be brutally honest. When asked what Cormani McLean could do to get on the field, he said, study and prepare. Be on time for meetings. Show up to the darn meetings. Understand what we're doing as a scheme. Want to play this game. Desire to play this game. Desire to be the best at this game, at practice, in the film room, and on your own free time. You do know I check the film from each player on the week. Thursday, I need film time from the whole staff so I can see who's preparing. And that's not just about Cormani. It's about a multitude of them. So if I don't see that, you would be a fool to put somebody out there who's unprepared. And so when I saw this quote, a couple of things came about. I said, wow, it is not often that a coach is as honest and as transparent and as real as Coach Prime was there. But I kind of assumed that just everybody would say, okay, coach knows his players best. He's being tough on the kid, but it's because he loves him. But of course, again, because it's Coach Prime, because everything he says is analyzed and overanalyzed, we slowly, over the course of the last day or so, got the backlash to the backlash. So first it was, this is great, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, everybody came out and, oh my God, how could Coach Prime talk about an 18-year-old kid like that? It's so awful, it's so evil. I'm here to tell you this. If you believe that Coach Prime did anything wrong in publicly calling out Cormani McClain, I'm here to tell you, listen, I don't tell people what opinions to have, but I definitely disagree with you. And in this case, I believe you're 100% wrong on Coach Prime's actions. First off, let me start by saying this. Listen, there's a lot of people, oh, you know, he could have handled this internally. He could have said it in a different way. He could have blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you this. Listen, I'm not a Colorado football player. Surprise, surprise. Uh, But I did play sports. I've been in locker rooms. And the one thing I can tell you, and I think most people who have been in locker rooms would probably agree with me on this. If Coach Prime said this publicly, I guarantee I sound like George Foreman. I guarantee it. I guarantee this has been expressed to Cormani McLean privately. Okay. It's been expressed by Cormani McLean uh, by coach prime. I bet it's been expressed by the position coach. I bet it's been expressed by his own teammates. One thing when I was in high school playing sports, it was a million years ago. I'm an old man, but what were the things that the older players, the veteran players tried to do? Tried to talk to the younger players, say, look, man, this is how we do things. This is the standard. This is the expectation. You got to be on time. You got to be accountable. You got to watch film. I guarantee this is not the first time Cormani McLean has heard this. I guarantee it's probably not the fifth, sixth, seventh time he's heard it. I guarantee he's heard it from his teammates. I've heard it. He's heard it from the assistant coaches, and he's heard it from Coach Prime himself. Beyond that. I also don't understand what the controversy is when all Coach Prime is doing is trying to live up to the promises that he made Cormani McClain and his family in recruiting. Again, I was not in on the private one-on-one meetings, but what I guarantee you is that when Coach Prime flew to Miami to meet with the family, kid is originally from the Miami area, I I think Lakeland, so maybe not Miami, I think that's whatever. I guarantee what he told Cormani's mom and family and loved ones was i am going to treat your son like my own well i can be honest i'm not a parent but i have parents love them both um you know i i i watch you know friends Nate, whatever the point i'm trying to make is you don't just love your kid and you're not just when you're a parent when coach prime is making the promise i am going to be a parent to this kid it's not just all lollipops and gumdrops and, and, and a great time. Being part of a being a parent sometimes is tough holding your son or daughter accountable, punishing them publicly or privately when they do something wrong. You mean to tell me that all of you out there there's never been a moment where you did something dumb as a kid and mom or dad said, "Yeah, Aaron couldn't come, Johnny couldn't come, Billy couldn't come because he didn't do his homework, because he's getting in trouble at school because he's this, because he's that." I got pulled out of sports when I was a kid because my mom knew that was the only way to get me to focus on school. And so she said, and she told people, she's like, well, he's not playing this week because he's not taking care of his business at school. And so that is part of being a parent. And that is part of what coach prime has promised this kid when they sat down, I'm going to treat you, your son, like one of my own. It's not always good. It's not always rainbows. It's not always sunshine. Oh, by the way. And I tell my wife this all the time, tough love is still love coach prime is doing this out of a place of love out of a place of wanting this kid to succeed out of a place of wanting this kid to mature i think that's the part that's tripping me up here it'd be one thing like 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 what the people that are criticizing okay why do you go public with this well it'd be one thing if if a reporter asked coach prime why is he not playing and coach prime said he's not good enough he's too slow he's out of shape he's not as good as I thought he was. That to me would cross a line. But some of this is on Cormani too, right? Listen to what Coach Prime said that first sentence. Study and prepare. I guess it's more than one sentence, but you get the point. Study and prepare. Be on time for meetings. Show up to the darn meetings. This is on Cormani McLean too. If he's showing up late, if he's not showing up at all, if he's unprepared, that's not on the coaching staff. That's not on Travis Hunter. That's not on Shador Sanders. That's not on the leaders in that locker room. That's on him for being a young adult. And so to me, this is the part that drives me crazy about how we cover college athletes in the NIL transfer portal era. Listen, for years I was told college athletes should get a cut of the check. They're, they're, they're not kids. They're, they're grownups. And I tend to agree. I'm happy NIL is here. I'm happy kids are getting paid. I'm happy kids are getting a cut of uh, the, the the millions and billions of dollars that they bring in. But at the same time, there are now expectations, right? And so the guys that are achieving at the highest level of NIL, it's because they're, 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 they're living up to the expectations on the field and they're cashing it off the field. Caleb Williams, Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter. I mean, we're talking about the best players in college football. They put in the work to get all of the rewards and what it sounds like to me. And I'm not trying to psychoanalyze. I'm trying to read between the lines of what coach prime said. It sounds like Cormani McLean wants all the cool stuff without putting in the work. Well, there's an old saying in sports. The only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary and it's true. And so part of this is on the kid. And by the way, it's okay. He's 18 years old. It's okay for him to screw up, to be a little bit immature. I was immature at 18 years old, the first time I was away from home. But again, people had to be tough on me, grow up, grow out of it, whatever. By the way, if I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing and and I tried to come home, my mom would have said, get your butt back there and get it figured out. So I don't understand why this is somehow like, let's feel bad for the kid. And this is the last part that, that, that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I've covered college sports forever, okay? And I know that as this stuff starts to to get out. And more importantly, as Cormani McLean hasn't played the first couple games, I guarantee you there were coaches that looked at that stat sheet from the first game against TCU and were hitting up Cormani's people and saying, if you don't want to be there, if they're not going to play you, come here. I don't want to name a school because I don't know and I'm not going to accuse, but there are schools that are reaching out to his people. I saw coaches tagged on Twitter. I searched Cormani McLean on Twitter on Thursday morning and I saw coaches from schools tagged, hey, call this kid. And so this is the one thing that I truly hope. Now, look, if he needs to be close to closer to home for family, for whatever, that's different. But I hope he doesn't run from this because Coach Prime is being difficult with him. I hope that if this is about maturity and growing up and being responsible, that he doesn't listen to the assistant coaches, the head coaches, the recruiting people that are reaching out to his people that are reaching out to him, the fans that are probably reaching out to him and saying, just come here, come with us. We'll take better care of you. No, Coach Prime is taking great care of you. It's because he cares about you. And I'll leave you with this. I keep hearing all about this, Cormani. If you care about Cormani McClain, if you really care about him growing and maturing, don't take it out on Deion Sanders. Don't take it out on Coach Prime. Hope that he stays with Coach Prime. I can't talk about from a football perspective. I would imagine from a football perspective, playing for the greatest cornerback of all time will help. But if you care about him as a person and maturing and becoming an adult, Colorado is the place that he should be. I just want to take a quick break, come back. And when we come back, I do want to wrap with America's Favorite Podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back, going to be back. Final segment of the show, final segment of the week. So good to be back. And it's time to wrap as we do every Friday with America's Favorite Podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. By now, you know the concept, stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does every single week where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast for one very simple reason. It's because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, Nobody loves telling you, nobody loves spitting out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres, and nobody loves telling you when he gets stuff right more than your boy Torres. Torres told you this. Torres said that. Should have listened to Torres. Torres, 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 Torres. I never shut up. And so we do Where Aaron Was Right, Where Aaron Was Wrong every single Friday to wrap the week, highlighting my best takes of the week, but also some really, really bad ones that I got as well. Let's get to it. Best and worst takes of the week, Where Aaron Was Right, Where Aaron Was Wrong. Where Aaron was right. So listen, I'm not as anti-Ryan Day as everybody, but I do believe that this guy, like, like it feels like you. It feels like if you even try to criticize him, everyone's like, oh my God, he's 140, uh, he's 48 and three. And it's like, I don't care. I don't care about what you do against Indiana and Rutgers and Purdue. We talk about it all the time. And so I bring it up because where Aaron was right, it's like everybody wants to defend this guy and there's something isn't quite right about him And I thought it was on full display on Saturday night against Notre Dame. You just got one of the biggest regular season wins of your career. And the first person that you immediately default to calling out is an 86-year-old former Notre Dame head coach who was trying to rile up a Notre Dame crowd by telling them that Notre Dame was going to kick Ohio State's butt. I'm sorry, but that's not something Nick Saban would do. Kirby Smart would do. Jim Harbaugh would do. At least not on the field. At least not in front of the cameras. At least not on national television. If you're Ryan Day, why do you care what an 86-year-old says about you? If I was walking down the street and some 86-year-old said, hey, Torres, you're soft, you stink, I'd be like, grandpa, get back on your meds. Go, Go play some shuffleboard. I got stuff to do. Like, who cares? And so it just says to me that Ryan Day does hear the noise and there's something isn't quite right. I still think he's a good coach. I don't think he has proven to me that he's an elite coach but I don't think the greats would really care about what an 86-year-old former Notre Dame head coach said. And so where Aaron was right, I'm just telling you, keep an eye on him. There's something not quite right. Where Aaron was wrong. So I was thinking about this during the Ohio State game. Ohio State is legitimately awesome, regardless of what I said about Ryan Day. But what I was also thinking was this. Imagine if Quinn Ewers was on Ohio State football right now. And so where Aaron was wrong. When the NCAA instituted the one-time transfer rule, I said, I don't really know if I like this. It's not the worst thing if guys sit out for a year. Well, bring it full circle two, three, four years later, college football is unquestionably better because of the transfer rule, and I was dead wrong. Quinn Ewers is now at Texas, and they're a contender. Michael Penix is doing unbelievable things at Washington. Same with Bo Nix at Oregon. Uh, You go on and on down the list. Caleb Williams is a transfer. Shador Sanders is a transfer. In college basketball, it has helped as well. And so I got to own it. I got to take the L. I wasn't in favor of the one-time transfer. I think it's created more parity. I think it's allowed more good players to move around. It's created interest in the offseason, and it has created a more compelling regular season. I got to own it. I was dead wrong on this, where Aaron was right. How about my Alabama Crimson Tide? Because here's the thing. About a week ago, everybody's freaking out. What does it mean? They benched Jalen Milro, Then they benched Tyler Buckner. Is there a locker room revolt? And what I said is, no, there's no locker room revolt. Nick Saban realizes that he has to win with this group, specific group in one specific way. Great defense, chew up the clock, win ugly low scoring games. Well, what happened last Saturday in Tuscaloosa? The defense was lights out. The SEC's leading scoring team coming into last week, Ole Miss, scored a touchdown on their opening possession and then scored three points the rest of the game. Listen, you can debate about a lot of things. Don't debate about Nick Saban and if he is going to figure his team out over the course of the year. Even last year, we can criticize, but as Nick Saban told you, they were two last-second plays away from being undefeated go, and would have won the SEC West and played for an SEC title. So listen, I told you with Alabama, everything's going to be okay. Are they a national championship contender? It remains to be seen. Is Jalen Milrose throwing ability going to eventually limit them? Maybe. But Nick Saban realized after that South Florida game, his offensive line cannot pass block. He needs a guy that can move the chains with his feet. That was why Jalen Milrose was named the starter, just like I told you. Where Aaron was wrong. All right. So I mentioned his name a minute ago, Bo Nix, like, like Bo Nix, I must have some weird PTSD about Bo Nix. Like I, in my head, I just can't believe that he is the difference between Oregon being a really, really, really good team and a national championship contender. And he showed it last Saturday against Colorado. And we don't need to go through all that stuff, but this guy is one of the best quarterbacks in college football, bar none And I do think he takes a very good Oregon team to a completely different level. Listen, we still got six, seven, eight weeks left of the regular season in college football. But if I had to make a bet today on who I actually think is going to win the Heisman Trophy, I think it's Bo Nix. USC's offense is going to fall apart on Caleb Williams. Michael Penix will see. Obviously, Washington has a brutal schedule ahead. Oregon does too, but I think Oregon is the most complete team in the Pac-12, and Bo Nix is the face of a team that I believe is good enough to go to the college football playoff and in a wide-open year potentially win a national championship. Cannot believe how wrong I was on Bo Nix and how wrong I continue to be on Bo Nix. I just can't trust him, but he has become one of the most trustworthy players in college football. Well, Aaron was right. I just mentioned it. It is the USC defense and when usc had back so say they played week zero against san jose state okay then they played nevada and stanford in back-to-back weeks and everybody said the defense is fixed they figured things out and i said "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa 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 wait a second now nevada might be the worst team in fbs football they got destroyed by idaho and fcs team at home Stanford might be the worst power five team in college football. They had no talent to begin with. Then most of the talent that was left transferred out when David Shaw retired, as I said a few minutes ago, Um, and they're not able to replace a bunch of guys in the portal like everybody else. They're probably the least talented roster in all of college football. And so this idea that USC had somehow figured it out, I'm sorry, I never bought it. Well, fast forward to last week and an Arizona state team, which got shut out at home. By Fresno State two weeks ago was able to go for 28 points and be competitive against that USC team. Not saying they're as bad as last year, but I do think in a obviously much improved Pac 12, it's going to be a grind for USC down the stretch. Remember, even if they survive Colorado this week, they have to go to Notre Dame. They have to go to Oregon. They get Utah at home. They get Washington at home. Do those sound like a bunch of games that are super winnable for USC? I don't think so. I think they're ultimately going to have their downfall and it is going to be because of their defense, just like I told you. Where well, Aaron was wrong. Let's do a quick NFL hot take, okay? So in the preseason, I picked the San Francisco 49ers to win the NFC West. But I didn't think they were a Super Bowl contender because I didn't know about Brock Purdy's elbow. And I thought it was a weird thing that everybody was just, oh, I mean, you know, they got Purdy was undefeated last year in games that he started and finished. And it's like, yeah, but he just had major elbow surgery. And I think throwing a football is a big part of what he has to do as the quarterback. And so I bring it up because I was questioning them. How good would they be? I picked the Eagles to win the Super Bowl this year, obviously winning the NFC as well. Well, we all saw Thursday night football last week against the New York football giants. San Francisco is not only good, they are, in my opinion, the best team in the NFL right now. Now, it's not to say that uh, 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 the you know Kansas City might not ultimately get there or Philadelphia coming off that nice Monday night win might not figure things out. But at the same time, the San Francisco 49ers are loaded and Brock Purdy seems just fine. I guess the lesson in this one, modern medicine. Don't doubt modern medicine. The San Francisco 49ers look just fine. Where Aaron was right. Let's wrap with two basketball topics where Aaron was right. I've been telling you for months, Cooper flag, number one, high school player in America. Duke is the heavy favorite. All the crystal balls are in for Cooper flag and they should be at the same time. What I have also told you is UConn is going to make a push and remember that there are family ties. Cooper flag, number one player in America. His mother played at the university of Maine and he, uh, she played her college career with the mother of Donovan Klingon a current Yukon star now unfortunately sadly Donovan Klingon's mother passed away recently. Why do I bring it up? Cooper Flag took his official visit to Yukon last week and pictures surfaced over the course of the week. And did you see what Dan Hurley pulled out for their picture shoot at Yukon? It was a picture of the Donovan Klingon and Cooper Flag wearing their mother's University of Maine jerseys together with a main state flag. You can find this on Instagram, Cooper Flags Instagram, okay? We'll probably flash the picture up here uh, for you to see here on YouTube as well if you're watching on YouTube. But I bring it up because after the photo shoot went live and frankly went viral in the UConn community, uh, Cooper Flags' mom put out a post, I believe it was on Facebook, complimenting the UConn staff, talking about how much she loved playing with Donovan Klingon's mom, how Donovan is carrying on her legacy. Listen, I don't know if Cooper Flagg will ultimately be a UConn Husky. And frankly, he probably won't be. But at the same time, you got to give credit to Dan Hurley for pulling all, out all the stops. And as I told you, as I told you, the mother factor would be a factor. And I think it's worth noting. Finally, where Aaron was wrong. So don't talk much NBA on this show. But obviously, on my Fox Sports Radio show, we talk NBA. I thought it was Miami or bust for Damian Lillard. Well, on what was it, Wednesday, Damian Lillard officially became a Milwaukee Buck. Uh, one, I love NBA trades because it reminds me of all these random guys in the NBA that I forgot kind of even existed. Shout out Keon Johnson, who played at Tennessee. Shout out Nasir Little, who played at North Carolina. But at the same time, um, I was just wrong because I thought it was going to be Miami or bust. If it wasn't Miami, Dame Lillard, I, I don't even know, was gonna sit out, whatever. Well, it turns out Dame Lillard had let Portland know. You know what? If you need to wait to trade me, I'll keep playing. But it ends up being the Milwaukee Bucks. Listen, I still think Denver is the favorites in the West. Denver should be the favorites in the NBA. But at the same time, let me also say this, is that when you look at the Eastern Conference right now, Boston is soft, and I don't think paying those two guys more money, not less, makes them better. Philadelphia, Joel Embiid, we know what's going on with James Harden. I don't think there's a trade market for him. Uh, Miami, I don't think they got enough dudes without Dame Lillard. And so I only bring it up because, shout out to the Milwaukee Bucks, I did not see this one coming. Cannot believe that Dame Lillard is a Buck. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Uh, it is time for me to get out of here. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, if you're in the state of Kentucky, download the DraftKings Sportsbook, use promo code TORRES. You bet $5 on any game this weekend, anything you want. You get $200 in bonus bets courtesy of DraftKings. Thank you again to all of you who are supporting this show. DraftKings.com, DraftKings Sportsbook, promo code TORRES, $200 in bonus bets off any $5 bet. Besides that, make sure you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Give us a quick a uh, little, uh, you know, review. Hopefully nice things are being said. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. How about YouTube? 27K subscribers we're closing in on. Uh, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Thank you guys and girls for your support. Shout out to Tor and Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head, unblock me, bro. I will be back on Monday, and we will have plenty to talk about on Monday's Aaron Torres podcast.
1: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com.
4: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
4: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs>